Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Well, friends, good evening. So there's some weeks when uh, preparing for a homily that the Lord, kind of when I'm doing Lexio Divina, the Lord will just kind of highlight or spotlight a single sentence or uh, sometimes it's a single word. Like last week, the Lord highlighted, spotlighted the word spotlit, spotlighted. I don't know all of a sudden. It doesn't matter. He highlighted the word as in the end of the gospel last week. I'm going to be thinking about that now. He highlighted the word as at the end of the gospel where the Lord, uh, the parable that Jesus gives where he says, you ought to forgive as I forgave, right? That unforgiving landowner, that unforgiving um, steward. This week, the Lord spotlighted, he highlighted, that's all in my head now, man. That's going to bother me. Someone who's an English teacher can tell me after Mass. So the Lord highlighted another word from Paul's letter, the second reading we have today from the Philipp- or his letter to the Philippians, where he says, Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. The Lord just shone a light right on that word magnified, magnified, and I just stayed with it, asking the Holy Spirit, what does this word mean? What does this mean? And I know what you're thinking right now. What does it mean in the original Greek? I know you're wondering. I'll tell you. Okay. The word in the original Greek is megalinthesitai. Megalinthesitai. It's a good hangman word. Megalinthesitai. What does that word mean? Well, it, it, if you look at the way that it appears um, in the rest of Scripture, you get this, essentially. It means to glorify to regard highly, to praise, to exalt, to lengthen, to expand, to enlarge, to amplify, to manifest in an extraordinary degree. Okay, so now we got a better sense of what Paul's getting at here with megalinthesitai. Let's go back to this original sentence that Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. He's saying, essentially, Christ will be magnified. He will be exalted amplified, manifested in an extraordinary degree in my body, in my body. Now, look, I imagine there's something about that that might be striking some of us as sounding kind of odd. Like, wouldn't it sound more Christian, let's just say, wouldn't it sound more Christian if Paul had said, Christ will be magnified in my soul, or Christ will be magnified in my thoughts, or Christ will be magnified in my words, or Christ will be magnified in the way I love Doesn't that sound more Christian, right? But no, he says, somatai, body, Christ will be magnified in my body, right? This bag of bones, this fleshy frame, this wrinkly wreck. You know, I could do this all day, right? So he's talking about our bodiliness, somatai, the enfleshment, the bodiliness. Now look, I think the reason why this strikes us as so odd, the reason that it doesn't sound quote-unquote Christian to us is because our thinking about the body, our thinking about the world is far more Cartesian than it is Christian. Now stay with me, I know, 5 p.m. Mass, I'm throwing out a lot of big words. Cartesian, what do I mean by Cartesian? I'm talking about that French philosopher René Descartes. Rene Descartes, hence Cartesian, right? So Rene Descartes, who is in many ways the great-great-grandfather, or you could say the architect of the present-day confusion, our modern world. He's the architect, the mind in many ways. He laid the foundation stones for the world in which we live now. 
Ever since he penned those famous words, cogito ergo sum, I think therefore I am, modern man has just not really been at home in the body anymore. You see, like, here's why. Like, the idea that he injected into the bloodstream of the culture, the idea that he began to, that just began to metastasize into the cultural imagination is this idea that there's this radical split between body and soul, between matter and spirit. That this integrated vision of the human person where the body and soul are seen as this integrated whole is no longer holding sway. There's now this disintegration, this dualism, as philosophers call it, this dualism of body and soul. So that like the really real part of me, the immaterial spiritual part of me, just kind of happens to occupy and is piloting this sort of machine body, right? Just in the same way that like a pilot gets into a particular cockpit of a plane and operates the plane, that this immaterial, really part, real, real part of me is what's operating this, this machine, fleshy body, right? The body isn't really what makes me, me. So this, this Cartesian dualism, as I was saying, this Cartesian dualism, this split between body and soul, it goes by another name that you're all familiar with, even if you've never studied philosophy. We call it death, okay? The split, the divorce between body and soul, the event of the splitting of body and soul, we call that death. We call that death. This is the cornerstone. Descartes' idea here is the cornerstone of what John Paul II called the culture of death, the culture of death. But the principal architect of the culture of death is not Rene Descartes, it is the enemy, the enemy. Lucifer, right, the enemy, the murderer from the beginning as Jesus calls him. And he has had throughout the centuries many pawns and principal players who have been putting this idea into practice. Think of figures like Friedrich Nietzsche or Charles Darwin Think of Ernst Haeckel or Karl Marx or Jean-Paul Sartre or Simone de Beauvoir. Think of Sigmund Freud. Think of Wilhelm Reich. Think of Alfred Kinsey, right? Margaret Sanger, Jack Kevorkian, Peter Singer. These are pivotal figures who, whose ideas have dramatically influenced and built up the culture of death. And all of these thinkers, with all of their ideas and all of their philosophies and all of their programs and ideologies and their campaigns, their regimes, what they all have in common is a fundamental misunderstanding of what the human person is, what the body is. And to misunderstand the person, to misunderstand the body, is to invite a, a whole host of misery, to invite a whole host of suffering upon humanity, mountains of corpses, rivers of blood, and that's what we've seen like, this is our world in many ways. This is the world in which we occupy. These ideas that hold sway and where they are taking us, this is the world in which we live. The logic behind the madness, this is where it starts. I think, therefore, I am has now blossomed into its logical conclusion of I think, therefore, I am whatever I think I am. That's where we live. It all originates. It all originates in the hatred of hell for the human person. It's an, it's, it's, this, it's both of these things at the same time. It's an idolization of the body 
And it's a hatred of the body all at the same time. All of this comes from hell. And look, the antidote, the antidote, the, the only way out of this madness, the only way forward in this madness is to begin wrestling with and trying to understand what St. Paul meant when he wrote to those Philippians, those Christians in Philippi, when he said, Christ will be magnified in my body. We begin, if we can begin wrestling with those ideas, we will begin to sense an antidote to all of this. So why do our bodies matter? Why do our bodies matter? Because if I, if I can put it this way, if I can put it succinctly, I would say this, that our bodies speak, our bodies reveal, our bodies participate in the very life of the triune God, right? When that God, that God who is an endless exchange of life and love, of union and communion, right? As Catholics, we begin every prayer in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We call upon God as Trinity. Our God is not this lone monolith. Our God is this union and communion of life and love, a giving and receiving of persons. And when that God made an image of himself in creation, when the when the Trinitarian song, when the Trinitarian pattern was transposed into an earthly, creaturely, visible key, if you will, it looked like male and female, he created them. When the Trinitarian dance is transposed into an earthly, visible icon, it looks like male and female, he created them. Our masculinity, our femininity, our capacity for life-giving union, it reveals who God is. And even more than that, our masculinity and femininity, it reveals the divine plan that God has had for us from the, from the very beginning, namely to be espoused to him. In other words, to God's desire for humanity is to marry us, to unite us to himself to participate in the divine nature, to be taken up into the glory of the Trinity. This is what we call heaven. This is what heaven is. Union with the Trinity. This is what is revealed in the book of Revelation. Right? You ever ask, what is revealed in the book of Revelation? Heaven. And what is revealed in the book of Revelation? A wedding feast. Union with Christ the bridegroom. This is why we call the Mass a pledge of future glory as we are united to Christ the Bridegroom in the flesh. This is why our bodies matter. They reveal God. Your body, my body, the body of everybody, it reveals divine mysteries. Every body is like a sacrament, right? It's an outward. So, uh, Baltimore Catechism people, repeat with me, a sacrament is an outward sign instituted by Christ to, to give grace. An outward sign instituted by Christ of an invisible mystery to give grace. Our bodies are sacramental. They are outward signs of inward invisible mysteries, the mystery of the person, right? Your body is the sacrament of your person. And what is the body meant to communicate? It's meant to communicate love. It's meant to participate in love. And like this is what Christ's body is revealing. On the night of the Last Supper, he says, this is my body given for you. He doesn't just say, this is my teaching for you to reflect on. This is my word for you to memorize. He gives us his body. He gives us his body. 
And upon the cross, he gives us his body and his blood to drink. This is my body given for you. Like, the Christian view of the body is as exalted as you can imagine. That the person, the body, is an ineffable mystery. An ineffable mystery, an inexhaustible mystery. The body is good. Your body. It might not feel like that every morning when you wake up. You look at yourself in the mirror and you're like, who is that person? Right? No, I know. Even as the body ages, even as the body breaks down, even as the body wrinkles, even as the body gets sick, it is good. It is good. Your body is a profound sign that reveals God in the world, that manifests, is meant to manifest Christ's love in the world. Think about the suffering bodies of the martyrs. Do they not reveal the suffering love of Christ? Think about, think about the body of Mother Teresa. Right, think about her, there, after she died, they had all these beautiful images of her feet and of her face and of her hands at her funeral. Her feet were all gnarled and wrinkled and just so disfigured. Why? Because she gave her body in self-gift to communicate love over and over and over again. And there's an enemy, as I said, the enemy hates our bodies. He hates life he hates love, he hates communion, he hates God, which is why he's gone to war against the creature that God loves the most. And as the architect, as the mind behind the culture of death, he has inspired us, so many of us in the culture today, to join him in his rebellion, to join him in his hatred of our bodies. This is the world in which we live. So what do we have? So progressive modern man, instead of seeing the body as an ineffable mystery to be loved, as a, as, as a mystery to be revered, instead of seeing the body that way, we see the body as a technical, as a burden to be overcome through technology, a burden to be overcome, a problem to be solved. And we see the bodies of others as useful tools, or we see the bodies of others as disposable, if unwanted or unexpected, or we see the bodies of others as instrumental to who cares, to whatever I want, as means to an end, right? My body, my choice, all of those things. The body is no longer seen as intrinsic to the person. It's seen as, as, as transitory as an outfit I might wear. It's something that is, that is manipulable, changeable, modifiable, whatever I want to fit my person, my interior reality. Right? The point of the body is to maximize pleasure, to minimize pain. That The point of the body isn't revealing anything divine beyond itself. It's revealing the, the trinity of me, myself, and I. This proposed constitutional amendment that's coming up in November, like it's rooted and it flows from this view of the body, this faulty view of the body, this evil view of the body. Like a culture, friends, like a culture that is seeking to enshrine, to, to, to enshrine in law a mother's so-called right to abort her baby at nine months gestation, full term, fully formed in the womb, completely viable. A culture that's seeking to do that is a culture that has completely lost sight of what a human person is, what a mother is, the beauty, the goodness of motherhood. Like a culture that wants to enshrine in law, stripping away parental rights, ensuring that even minors have access to body mutilating surgeries and 
cross-sex hormones and gender therapies, all of these things, is a culture that has lost sight of the goodness of the body, the goodness of masculinity, the goodness of femininity, the goodness of our complementarity. And right now, in this moment, the church's voice is so dire. The church's voice is so dire. The gospel is the only hope the world has. The church is so needed to proclaim that there's another way to think about these things, to proclaim the good news of our humanity, that God looked upon us and said, it is very good. Like, it is no coincidence, friends. Like, it's no coincidence that the same day that Pope St. John Paul II, May 13th, 1981, when he was going to establish and announce to the world the establishment of this new institute where he was going to be teaching and getting out into the world this teaching about the human person, about our complementarity. The day that he was going to announce it, a communist hired assassin shoots him at basically point-blank range in St. Peter's Square on the feast day of Our Lady of Fatima. The communists hated John Paul II because of his boldness and because of his courage, but the devil hated John Paul II because he told the world the truth about the body, the truth about our humanity. And what was John Paul's central argument? It's this, that the body, in fact, only the body, is capable of making visible what is invisible, the spiritual, the divine. The body has been created to transfer, he said, into the visible realm of creation, the invisible mystery hidden from eternity in God and to be a sign of it. And what is the mystery hidden from eternity in God that the body is a sign of? That God himself is this endless exchange of life and love and that we are destined to share in that bodily. Friends, we have to, as a church, we have to fight against this proposed constitutional amendment with everything we have to shout as loudly as we can like this no that we have. But even louder than the no, we have to shout the yes that the church's no is protecting. Every no that the church has is protecting an even greater yes. That we have incredible news to share with the world. The good news of humanity, the good news of masculinity, the good news of femininity, the good news of our sexuality. The church has the best news there is in all these things. So I want to give you some homework. I want to invite us to dive even more deeply into these things. I know I've been talking a lot. We're going to land the plane. I only have 15 more points. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. On our Sacred Heart of Jesus Parish, uh, Parish website, there's a, there's a tab at the, bottom, at the top that says helpful or resources and helpful links. If you look at under helpful links, there's a bunch of titles and books and movies. Under books, there's three titles in particular that I want you to look at. Pick any one of these and read over the next couple months. All the three of these are by Christopher West. The first is The Good News About Sex and Marriage. The second title is At the Heart of the Gospel. And the third is Theology of the Body for Beginners. I want to invite us to get this vision of the body deep in our bones so that we can declare to the world like the good news of what Paul is saying. Christ will be magnified in my body. If we as the body of Christ are not absorbing this, taking this in, declaring it to the world, who's going to do it? Who's going to do it? We have to do it. Amen.